Um, and we're going to have uh, what's going to be both a testimony and a living illustration of what we're then going to start talking about in the, out of the passage of Scripture. Um, I've asked um, Regina Strittmeyer if she would take some moments this morning and be able to share the testimony of what God has been doing in her life. The majority of us are familiar with Regina and her journey, um, and I'm going to let her share that, and, but it's a journey that's taken her through the last few years, and um, we're looking forward to her sharing how God has blessed and worked in her life and whatever it is that God has put on your heart, Regina, to share. So, Regina, would you please come on up and, uh, and take the next few minutes and bless us with the testimony God's put on your heart. down. I don't know if the, <clears throat> excuse, can you hear me okay? Okay. Whoa, 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 whoa. Okay. <clears throat> excuse me. Happy Thanksgiving. And um, I'm very grateful that I've been given this opportunity to thank everybody in the church for all your prayers and support and love, and the list is endless. Um, you know, writing a thank you is is wonderful, and but it's means more that I could really share what's on my heart. And yes, it's been a hard several years, but especially this last year. And I want to talk about hope through healing, um, which I feel like is where I am. And, you know, it's been trials in every area of my life, especially this year, mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, financially, and on and on. And, you know, I never, ex- never would a million, you know, I've had dialysis for a number of years and on dialysis for several. And I never would have imagined what would have transpired in this last year. And I know none of us expect things to happen in our lives, and then they do. And, you know, through like prior, you know, I was on the 900-mile train, you know, working hours and hours and juggling everything and dialysis and and all the other things. And, and it's not that you lose focus, but, you know, you're so busy doing that, you know, sometimes the you know, your prayer life things just go by the wayside. All of this took a toll on me even more, and then all the things started to crumble um, at the end of last year and the beginning of the year. And I have uh, had 14 surgeries this year. I had five on my dialysis arm and one cancer spot on my leg, and then I've had all the rest on my face. Um, cancer on my face and and my nose bone, which had to be removed. And 
lost my job. Um, so anyway, it's been a journey. Um, pain, anxiety, fear, depression, uncertainty of the unknown, and then blessings upon blessings upon blessings and growth and healing. And all of these things have caused me to refocus my life and complete focus on Christ and sitting at his feet every day, every moment. And... um, the feet of Jesus, his, his grace and mercy and all the prayers and all the love and everything of everybody in my life. And it's been so humbling. And during this time, I've had to humble myself to lean on other people and ask for help, which is extremely hard for me. Because I like to give and serve in my heart, and I've always been, you know, self-sufficient and be able to do everything. But when you are just grappling from moment to moment, you know, the blessing of all of this, there's no words to express. And there's no words to express my gratitude to Grace Bible Church and every one of you and, you know, my family my friends, Pastor and Denise, the ladies, your calls, cards, the men and women who've come to help, food, errands, people sitting with me at dialysis, financial gifts, car rides, text messages, the list goes on and on. I could name you one by one, but it would take a long time. And my neighbors, strangers I've met, All of these small, it could be changing a light bulb. It could be any little thing. These are huge things when you are dealing with a disability or an illness or uh, anything. It's such a huge thing. And you may think it's something small, but it is huge. I have also learned that, you know, I learned a long time ago not to judge people like You see people out, and you think, oh, why are they in a bad mood, or why do they seem angry, or why are they something? Um, And I've learned a long time ago not to do that, but I learned that even more now. I learned what it's like. It's very hard, especially when you have something that's outward, like my face. You know, it's been very, especially as a woman, hard emotionally and like had to deal with vanity. I feel like I've never been a vain person, but you want to look nice. And then, anyway, going out, I've had bandages on my face since March and just, you know, scars and everything. It's been very hard. And I've also, you know, you know, you hear about racism or people judging or people staring at you, whatever. I've dealt with all of that. It's been very hard, you know, people who are scared of you, scared to look at you, children, you know, other people, like, I've dealt with all of that and what it's like, and it's been a very hard thing. I've had to grapple with what beauty really is, and beauty is what is in your heart and what Christ has given me. And you have all been Jesus to me, and you've all been a blessing and God has used to used you 
And now I want to share those blessings. My desire is to serve and bless others and to get give back. You know, it's enabled me to share my journey. And I want to, you know, I'm just still, I'm at this crossroads now of, you know, maybe eventually going back to a part-time job, but volunteering and to share and bless other people through what I've been through and understand. The other thing I've learned is that, you know, um, having an illness or disability or whatever you're going through, anxiety, depression, it is not... So it's not a sign of weakness or that you don't have faith. It's the opposite, actually. It's because whenever you are weak, God can make you strong. And the other people, the people in the prayers carry you, and they give you that strength, the grace and mercy. It's not just an opportunity to share and, and all for God's glory. And, you know, I'm clinging to what God has done, and like I said, reevaluate of where I am in my life. I want to, you know, whatever I do in the future is for his glory and to, to bless other people. Um, my signature verse when I became a Christian is Isaiah forty thirty one. For those who hope and wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They will soon... Or they will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. And I still cling to that verse. And that meaning is, is that patience and waiting on the future, the glory of Christ to be revealed, the promise of strength to carry on, even amid our weakness and fatigue, the Lord is our source of power and strength when we feel like we can't take another step. Or endure another moment. And that's where I feel like I've been. Your prayers and love have enabled me to take another step day after day. And I'm thankful, just like all of you. But I learned a long time ago to be thankful for something every day, even if it's getting out of bed. Making a decision to make a dinner. One, one, one thing to be thankful for. Just one thing. And, you know, some days that was, is really hard, but there's always something to be thankful for. First Thessalonians five sixteen through 18 says, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will, God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And through all of this year, you know, I have felt like Job many times. And I've also thought about Paul and all the people who, who are persecuted or going through a hard time and to still be faithful as God has been faithful to me and to be thankful. And sometimes that's really hard to just praise him through what the pain and anxiety and depression. But God's never promised us days without pain, laughter without sorrow, or sun without rain. But he did promise strength to get through each day, comfort for the, the tears, and light and hope for the way. Psalm 28, 7 says, The Lord is my strength and my shield. My hope trusts in him, and he helps me. 
My heart leaps for joy, and with my song, I praise him. And I do praise him that I'm where I'm at right now. I um, have been through so many treatments and everything with my face, and um, I probably will maybe have another surgery coming down the road, but I just had an appointment Friday. I don't go back to the surgeon for two months, which is huge and I'm just praying that underneath where my the part of my nose that was removed is continuing to slowly heal um and I have 10 more pounds to get on until I get a transplant so you can pray about good that um but anyway so I just appreciate everybody and everything um all your prayers and believe me when you think that that Maybe you're not doing much. The power of prayer and your love and everything, it is, it is huge. And I have felt everyone, everyone, everyone. Somebody sent me a card, and I think it was somebody, one of my friends in this audience, but it's a, it was a bookmark, and it says, Deep inside us, God has placed a spirit that refuses to be broken, and we call this hope. And we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure, and that that is summarized in Hebrews 6.19. I just want to thank you again, and happy Thanksgiving. Up as the deacons here, Regina, would you go ahead and sit down? We want to take a moment and pray uh, for Regina and... um, Dave, why don't you go ahead and and start. Our loving Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this chance to come together. We thank you for the testimony that Regina shared this morning, Father, and for the way you are working in her life. We just pray now for the fear and the anxiety. I pray that you would just give her a break from this, that you would keep the evil one from bringing these fears and anxieties into her life, Father. And I pray that you just put a hedge of protection about her during this time to protect her and and be with her. And I just pray that you would use this time, these struggles, as as a way that she can bless you and bring glory to you in everything that she does. Father, we do thank you for the ways that you have worked in Regina's life over the last year and uh, years past. Father, it is awesome to hear how you work in specific ways, providing for her. And Father, even when it seems like all else around us fails and falls away, Father, there you are. And Father, I'm encouraged by Regina's testimony about your faithfulness to us in the midst of trials and in the midst of struggles, health, and finances, and all those things. And Father, we thank you for the way that you've provided for Regina. Father, it's in those times that we learn to depend upon you, and we can continue to call upon you because you are our hope. You are our salvation. And Father, I just thank you that uh, Regina is growing in her faith, and she's seeing you all around her and at work. And Father, we thank you for the encouragement that you've given her heart, and we pray that you would continue to strengthen her in her inner being. And, Father, we pray that you would continue to support her and, and provide for her needs. Father, I think of uh, the, the possible surgery that could be ahead and because of the healing that needs to take place. 
Father, I pray right now that, you're, that you would work in your way to bring healing to her nose, that that tissue would come together. Because, Father, you are our creator and you are our healer and you are our strength and our salvation. And so, Father, I just pray that you would continue to bring the healing that is needed to Regina's body. And that, Father, as we continue to walk forward by faith and as Regina walks forward by faith, that we would continue to see your awesome hand at work in Regina's life to your praise and glory. Father, I just prayers and I add that you would provide the pathway uh, for her to gain the weight and have all the other boxes ticked off to be able to receive the uh, transplant, kidney transplant that she needs, that she might um, truly um, find healing physically, even as you continue to give her strength emotionally and continue, Lord, to um, strengthen her spirit as your daughter. Thank you for the privilege of hearing your testimony this morning, and the testimony, Lord, of your work in her life. And we lift her to you in the precious name of Jesus. And together, the church family says, Amen. Thank you, Regina. Right, if you would uh, go in uh, your Bibles, please, and go to Psalm 95. We're going to take a few minutes um, to walk through this psalm. Um, as I uh, had mentioned before, as we were getting ready to um, pray before the song, singing, uh, Psalm 95 has a long history of being used as a call to worship. Um, we don't know exactly how long that is because we aren't given the name of the author, but we do know that by the time you get to the uh, days of Ezra and Nehemiah, the worship services in the temple itself started with the Levite priests reciting verses 1 and 2 here. It, was a, uh, it, w- it meant that it was time for those who had gathered at the temple to now come and begin to worship as one corporately to the Lord. It was done responsibly. uh, You would have a large group of Levites, at least a hundred of them, that would be there together, and they would begin to sing, O come, let us sing to the Lord. And you would have literally tens of thousands of Jewish worshipers would then reply, let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. And then they would go on to verse 2 and do the same. Let us come into His presence with thanksgiving again. Tens of thousands of voices, let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. Had to be quite a thing to experience that in the temple courts. The psalm continued to be used as a call to worship by the early church. Just in the mid-300s, a man by the name of Athenaeus, a key church leader and theologian, noted that before beginning their times of prayer, Christians gather and invite and exhort one another in the words of this psalm. And even today, there are some groups of Christians and denominations that continue a tradition that's known as the daily hours. It's a specific time that's set aside during the day where you either gather with a small group of other believers or you can do it by yourself as a personal time of worship. And there is a set of psalms you read and pray together. There is a selection of scripture out of the gospels and then you take some time to pray. And as you begin that time, whether it's personally or in a small group, again, you use verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 95 to begin your worship time together. The psalm is also instructive 
It was used to outline the Sabbath services in the synagogue during the times of Jesus. And so that synagogue time began with a time of singing praises to God. That was followed by a time where they bowed before the Lord in reverential worship and prayer. And then there would be a time where they would hear from God's word. These are the elements that continue to guide the outline of our worship service even now. It's the basic outline of the worship service of Grace Bible Church. And so even though we may not use Psalm 95 as our actual call to worship, the words themselves, it still influences the way that we structure the time that we call worship here on Sunday mornings. So we're going to see just a few things here out of the psalm. We're going to see that we gather to joyfully praise God. Coming together for worship is about joyfully praising God. We're going to see that we then go into humble worship and prayer. And then we carefully listen to God as he speaks through his word with the intention of following him. And so let's dive on in here one more time in verses 1 and 2 as we see that we gather to joyfully praise the Lord. And this is how we do it. And he says, Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord and let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving and let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. The first thing is there's an invitation here. We're told that we are to come. It's a personal invitation from God to set aside normal life, to set aside the things that we usually are giving our attention to. And to kind of take a pause and to take our attention and to fully focus our attention on the Lord. It's a kind of an invitation that carries a sense of being drawn in with a warm welcome into God's presence. As we totally let go of the other things we brought into us, the things that can distract us from being focused on God, whatever those may be, and be able to say, this is a time in which I'm just going to worship the Lord. He says, let us sing to the Lord. And it's interesting that we praise God, we start this worship time with singing. As we worship together, we worship in song. Music is a powerful gift of God that's been given to the human race. And it's, be, it's supposed to be used primarily to worship Him, although you wouldn't know it if you look at the world around us today. But music is totally unique in that it impacts every part of our brain. When you hear, or especially if you engage in singing or playing music, it triggers the part of your brain that produces logic and thought as you are able to receive the words and reflect on them and ponder what you're singing. It triggers the part of the brain that produces emotion. It triggers the part of the brain that um, produces dopamine, which is, gives a rush of pleasure and enjoyment, that chemical in our brain. It triggers the part of the brain that enhances memory. It is why it's far easier to memorize the lyrics of a song that you've sung a few times than to look at those same words written on paper and try to memorize them as a poem without the music. It also triggers the part of our brain that produces movement. It's why you find yourself tapping your toe 
without having to think about it. It's because that part of, that, that's part of your brain receiving this message of the music and your body automatically has this sense of going into some form of movement. Maybe you just sort of sway back, I mean, whatever it is. So music, by design, triggers all of this because God gave us music to worship Him with. And we do it together. Four times in just these two verses, we are told, let us. Not let me or let you. Let us gather together and sing to the Lord. I've had people tell me over the years, you know, Pastor, I don't come to church anymore because I don't need a church building to worship the Lord. And you're absolutely right. We could go worship God in the parking lot just as fine as in the sanctuary. But here's the thing. You can't do corporate worship without other people. And we're commanded in Scripture to gather together in corporate times of prayer, praise, worship, and Bible instruction. So we don't need this sanctuary, although it's a wonderful place to gather. But we do need each other if we're going to do an us. If we're going to gather as a family and corporately worship the Lord. He says we're to make a joyful noise. That's for those of us who can't carry a tune. No, no, actually, that's not what the point is. Make a joyful noise has got more to do with attitude than volume, although it includes both. It's singing to the Lord with that sense of joy with a heart that's happy to be in the presence of the Lord. It has the idea of being enthusiastic, of being vibrant, of being excited. It literally means to shout out loud. And it was used to describe when a group of soldiers would give a shout of victory on a battlefield. It's a word now you might be able to use to describe what happens if you're in a stadium and the home team scores a touchdown to win the game. And that roar that will rise up. Or in a baseball stadium and there's nothing like a walk-off home run in the ninth. That's what this phrase means. This loud, yes, enthusiastic, joyful response Except we're not celebrating a sports team, we're celebrating the living God. Come into his presence with thanksgiving and with songs of praise. This time's not about us. It's not about a time of preferences or what we think is, uh, is good for our worship, as some people like to say. We come into God's presence We come into God's presence. It's about the Lord and the heart attitude that we bring to God when we gather in the space. We come with, first of all, two things, and I think it's interesting. The first thing we're told to do is come with thanksgiving. It's really hard to start thinking about other things when you start to fill your mind and your heart with gratitude for God and the things that he has done and he is doing in your life. And we're to come with praise. And you only praise God if you're focused on God. And as we praise him for who he is, for what he's done, 
And it says we are to do this joyfully. You know, music is a wonderful way for us to praise God together. But singing itself is not an act of worship. Music is a vehicle. Music is like a bus that we all get on, and now we travel together as one church family into the presence of God. And we worship for what's in our hearts, vocalized through our voices. Music's a vehicle. Our heart is where worship does or does not take place, depending on the heart that we bring to God and the heart that we bring into the sanctuary when we gather for worship. We praise God because of some things that are listed for us in verses 3 to 5. It says, For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In His hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are His also. The sea is His, for He made it, and His hands formed the dry land. He starts with this general declaration of God's greatness. He's the one true God. He is a great God, and He is Lord and King over all creation. From the beginning, uh, right after Genesis chapter 3, when sin entered into the human race, from the stone idols of the Old Testament to the modern-day idols of money and pleasure and power and status and self-assertion, people try to replace God as the center of their lives with something else that they can define and control so they can do life the way they want to do it. It does not matter whether you recognize the greatness of God or not. He is a great God. It does not matter if you recognize His Lordship over the creation. He is the Lord of all creation. And we have the privilege as His people to acknowledge it now and to gather into His presence together as a church family. And in this specific case, through music, praise Him for His greatness. He's the creator. He formed everything, it says here. He is the sovereign Lord. He holds it in his hand. One of the great visuals that I love out of this verse is the fact that we now know the vastness of this universe in ways that we didn't used to. Every time we put a more powerful telescope out into space, we see further and further, and we just know just it's mind-boggling how big this universe is. God holds it all in his hand. God's that much bigger. And that's why we come before Him with joyful praise. But He's also personal. Back in verse 1, it says, He's the rock of our salvation. He's the rock of our salvation. He's the source of our salvation through Christ Jesus. He is the sure and firm foundation for all who will put their faith in Him. And He is the strength and stabilizing presence in the storms of life as Regina so wonderfully shared in her testimony. When you look at who God is, no wonder we're called together to sing praises to Him. It is no wonder that we are to make this joyful noise, enthusiastic joyful singing. 
It is no wonder that we are to have hearts of gratitude. It is no wonder that we are to have hearts that praise Him. And it's no wonder that we are to be full and satisfied in Him. We come now into His presence. And the picture here is of the people streaming, thousands and thousands of Jewish believers, streaming through the gates of the temple. And as they're coming in, they begin these songs of joyful praise because they get the privilege of entering the presence of the living God. And that's exactly what we've done here this morning. Then as we stand in his presence, the tone of the psalm begins to change. It gets a little more quiet. It says in verse 6, O come, let us worship and bow down, and let us kneel before the Lord our maker. We now humbly worship God and pray. There's a sense of humility. God's given us the privilege and the right as his children to come before him with this great gladness. But we should never do so without a deep sense of his majesty at the same time. And so we lower ourselves before God in humility so that God is elevated above us. He has three different words here that talk about a physical position before the Lord, but what he's really getting at is the attitude of our hearts towards God, the reverence that we should have towards God, the humility that we should have towards God, and the heart of worship that we should extend to God. He's got the word worship, which literally means to fall prostrate on the ground, to fall face first on the ground. It's the idea of showing this reverence and humility and submission to God as we remember His greatness, His majesty, and His power. And we just fall before Him. Bow down actually meant to kind of get into that squat where you're on your rear haunches and you go forward with your arms extended this way and your head between your arms because you still have your, you still have your head down. It's still a position of humility. And then kneel. You actually raise yourself up so now you can look up to God and begin to speak to Him. Kneeling was the primary position used in the temple to enter into prayer. And it's undoubtedly what the psalmist has in mind here. The first two reference a worship of the Lord. This last one references us responding to that with prayer. And we have this attitude of worship and prayer because he's our Lord and our maker. You know, in the ancient world, when you came before a king, you would fall prostrate on the floor before him and you'd keep silent. You wouldn't move, you wouldn't say anything until he spoke to you. When he spoke to you, then you would go into that position of being lean back on your knees and lean forward like this with your head still down. You still haven't looked at the king yet. And then after a few moments, you slowly raise yourself up to look up at the king, and now you can speak. It's that attitude of coming before the Lord because he's already called us. Remember? Come. We've come to, we go into that presence of the Lord with joy, but then there's a moment where we recognize we're in the presence of the Almighty God 
and there is a time for reverence and humble worship. And out of that praise and worship, then we enter into prayer. But even as we're doing this, we remember that God is also our shepherd. It says, for he is our God in verse 7, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. You can praise the Lord that he is not a harsh authoritarian. He's a shepherd king. He's a shepherd king. He is our God, the one who's created and given us life, but he's made us the people of his pasture. Through Jesus Christ, he's redeemed us. And he's adopted us to be his own. And the pasture pictures this place we have with the Lord in which he cares for us and provides everything that we need. But then he takes it even a step further and he says, we are also the sheep of his hand. We're not just sheep in a sheep pen. We are sheep held in the hand of the shepherd. And it's a sign of being close and personal, being in a relationship with God where he knows us by name. It's very likely the psalmist is thinking about Psalm 23 as he's writing this verse. The God who provides nourishment and refreshment as our shepherd, who leads and guides, who watches over and protects, who brings us and gives us a seat at his very table. And his goodness and mercy follows us through this life and into eternity the next. And back to Psalm 95, he closes the section we're looking at this morning. It says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Listen and follow. The words of Jesus in John 10 come to mind, where he says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, because no one will ever snatch them out of my hand. They hear my voice and they follow because I've given them life. And so we gather together and we joyfully praise the Lord with thanksgiving for all that he's done. And that's a big part of what today is about. It's a big part of what Thursday will be about. With hearts that have played aside other things in order to fully focus on him as God. We quiet ourselves and go into a, a humble worship out of which we can lift our, ourselves and our prayers to him. And then we listen to his voice as he speaks in return. And as he speaks through his word with hearts that are committed to him, we follow. Praise, worship, prayer, obedience. All of that flows out of hearts that truly worship the Lord. And may you have wonderful times today and especially in the days ahead to be able to give that thanksgiving and praise to the Lord for all the things that he's been doing in our lives and all the things he continues to do in our church family. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we do thank you and praise you for all that you indeed do and all that you are in our lives. 
May we truly bring hearts of praise and worship, of trusting prayer, and of hearts ready to follow you. With gratitude and with praise. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I'm going to invite you all to stand as we close this morning. Give thanks with a grateful heart. 